one of the things I did when we got our house, I set up, uh, I, I set the house up with night lights, which are really, uh, some of you may have seen them, they're, they're little, um, it's called snap power. They, they have little LED lights on the bottom of outlet covers. And so on these different outlet covers, I, I took the old one off, put the new one on, and at night, when, or when it's dark out, then a, just a little light shines. There's three, four LED lights at the bottom of this thing. And I have it set up so that I can get through the whole house at night without um, generally breaking any toes, uh, you know, and, and be able to get wherever I need to uh, on there. I intentionally placed them so that I, I could do that. I wouldn't have to turn any lights on. So when I get up at 5 a.m., I walk through the house and on the way to the stove, I, I turn the water on so Jenny can have tea in the morning. And um, as I walk by the bathroom, I flip the light on, you know, not going in there, just walking past. And what that helps with is a little bit later than, you know, I, I go and fill up the water pot and I can do all that stuff without the lights on and um, turn that on. And then as I start walking back toward the bathroom to, you know, get ready for the day, um, it's, it's not quite such a shock to my eyeballs. Um, we all know what it's like if so, when, you know, when you're in the dark and then somebody flips the light on, it's like, wowzers. <laughs> uh, we don't open our eyes like that. We kind of go the other way because it's actually kind of painful. It's a little, it's, it's sometimes more than a little painful, you know, to, uh, have somebody blast us with those lights. This new sermon series that we're starting today kind of developed as I was spending time reading through different passages in the mornings earlier this year, I originally was going to uh, go back to Genesis for a while. We may do that in the fall, but uh, we're not going to do that now. Um, some of the sermons will come from Genesis, but um, what I, I don't know if you spend time reading. I hope you spend some time reading your Bible and praying every day. It's important. It's important to do that. You know, we say we have a relationship with Christ, and if we have a relationship with him, we should be spending time uh, with him and, and uh, involved with him. And we do that by praying. We do that by reading his word. We do that by gathering together with his people. And all of these things are important. They're important to our spiritual growth. They're important to our uh, to our, our, our spiritual health. When you have a relationship with somebody, you spend time with them. You interact with them. Uh, and, and it's the same thing with God. Now, for me, early in the morning works best. It's before I'm distracted by the events of the day, before things are going on. I can be, very easily be distracted by my ADD. Now, they didn't have that uh, designation so much when I was a kid. Otherwise, I certainly would have been tracked into that. Um, I, am, I am quite easily distracted, but also get focused on things. And it's either my ADD or my NGS. Um, in case you forgot what NGS is, that's my near genius syndrome. Easily distracted uh, by that, and those aren't kicked in early in the morning. Now, it means that I get up a little earlier, but for me, that's what works best. That's what works best for me. If I wait, you know, if, I, I, if I wait until later, I get wrapped up in what I'm doing. Um, you know, for example, some people ask how my vacation went. My vacation was great. You know, we went away for uh, five days with the family and we had a great time and it was very relaxing and we came back home and I worked around the house for a week. Now, see, when I talk about getting wrapped up in what I'm doing, so here's how it went. Um, after we came back, we came back home. I don't think we went to bed before midnight then any, any time because 
I started doing something and I'd be out working in the garage or doing something, you know, and then we'd stop and have supper at 11 p.m. and, you know, and then, and then go to bed afterwards and stuff because I could get wrapped up in what I'm doing. So what happens if I don't stop and spend some time in the morning before I get the day going, I start getting wrapped up in things. And before you know it, the day's gone and I haven't bothered to uh, spend time you know, praying and, and reading and, you know, just paying attention to God. And, and I need to do that, you know, and, or, or else I can get distracted, you know, and think of other things that I need to do, you know, that or something shiny, you know, either one of those things and, and, and I'm distracted. Well, as I was reading and praying, God has used his word to shine some things into my life, you know, to shine into my life and shine on some things. And as with the light in the morning, uh, some of it took a little getting used to, um, you know, and, and it was a good reminder. Uh, and, and quite honestly, some of it was a little painful sometimes as God shines his light on there. Uh, but I needed it and I benefited from it because for what you need to understand is to ignore God's word is dangerous. It's very dangerous. Just like in the morning, if I don't have the lights on and I try to shower and shave, uh, and, you know, and get dressed in the morning without the lights on, it doesn't work well. You know, it just doesn't work well. Uh, I, I end up hurting myself and the other things end up hurting me. It's the same, you know, so I, I need that light on. And if we ignore God's word, if we ignore the light of God's word, it's very dangerous. It's a dangerous, it's a foolish way to live. It's a dangerous way to live. It's really a fatal um, way to live. So what we're going to do is spend the rest of the summer uh, working to bring our living into the light. That's into the light of, of God's word. Uh, his word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. Why? Helps us to see where we're going, helps us to see what we're doing, helps us to not to get tripped up. Helps us not to not to get hurt and destroy ourselves. Really, uh, we're going to be looking at events both from the Old Testament, New Testament, um, shine some biblical light on our choices and our our living. Uh, realize most often you choose how you live. You say, "No, I don't." You know, most often we choose how we live. Sometimes very directly. Sometimes very directly we choose how we live. And sometimes it's indirectly because we made the choice before and some of our earlier choices, then we have to live through the consequences of some of our earlier choices. And that's not always fun. That's not always uh, pleasant. Now, there are times where we live under the wash of others' choices. Um, you know, I've shared with you before, you know, I, I didn't choose that my father left our family, yet I lived under that. Now, here's the deal, though. You choose how you're going to respond to that. Even though you may be living under the wash of some other people's choices, you choose how you're going to respond to that. You choose how you're going to react to that situation you're in because of them. Let me pray, and then we're going to get into our passage that we're going to look at today and uh, let God shine his light and teach us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace and reality of your word, your life, and your presence. Don't let us, don't let us wander off and do our own thing. It is so foolish. I don't know why we do that, Lord. I don't know why we continue to 
why, why do we ignore your word? Well, you know, I, I thank you, though, for the reality of the fact that you don't leave us in our sin. You don't leave us in our foolishness. You come and you shine your light on it, and I pray that's what you do this morning. Teach us from your word, your truth, that your spirit will bring to bear on us those things you know we need. Guide and help our time, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 6 this morning. It's on page 5 in your pew Bible. A very familiar event. This is, we're going to drop down to verse 5. Uh, this is where Noah begins to get the bad news about the condition of the world and the instructions about building the ark. This is, you know, some of the wash of choices of others that Noah's living under. And yet he has that now he, he has a choice in how he's going to respond and what's going to happen uh, here with what's going on. What you're going to see in this series is God does not simply point out problems, you see, and he doesn't simply point out our problems. One of the great things about a relationship with Christ is that he also guides us to solutions and he guides us through those solutions. One of the things that, you know, happened for me as I was going through, and again, where the series came from, is I knew some of this stuff before. What it is, is God got my attention once again, turned my head and said, Hey, buddy, um, look at this. Remember this. You know, come on here. You know, pay attention to what's going on. And, and, you know, that's part of some of what, some of what God has done. He doesn't simply point out the problems. He guides us to solutions. And that's what we need. We need solutions for living life properly, successfully, vibrantly, uh, peacefully, maybe contentedly is a better word there. But that's what comes from a relationship with God and living in a relationship with God. It's not coming from the surroundings. We're not talking about those things that the surroundings are bringing into your life. We're talking about the things God's bringing into your life despite sometimes those surroundings, good or bad. Because both have their challenges in living for God. Good thing, good times you have your challenges in living for God in good times too. I thoroughly enjoyed doing the, the work that I was doing while I was off. But like I said, then I'd get caught up in it and I, and you know, I could get caught up in it and I'm working on it until midnight and things like that. And I, you see, even good things can distract us from paying attention to God and we have to watch out for that. If we say that we have a relationship with God, yet we make no effort to actually live in relationship with God, then you see what happens is we really only think that we have a relationship with God. If your living is no different from those who do not know Christ, if your relationship is no different from those without a relationship with God, if you're guided by all the same things those without God are guided by, if your values are based on the same worldly wisdom that those, that those who reject God are guided by, then I feel quite safe in saying that you do not have the relationship with God that you think you have. 
If there's no difference between your living and the way the world is living, let me explain what I mean by world here. I'm using world in the same way that John uses it in the Gospel of John. He uses that when he uses the world. What he's talking about are those who ignore God, those who don't have a relationship with God, those who where God really doesn't matter. So if you're living in the same way that those who don't who, where God doesn't matter to them, if your living is the same as them, then then you have a real problem. You see, then you do not have the relationship with God that you think you have. Because that relationship needs to affect our living. If it's not affecting your living, then you don't have that relationship you think you have. When I married Ginny, and and I had this relationship with her, and then my life and my living changed. And if it didn't change, if and I if I kept flirting and talking to other girls, the, the, you know the the way in which in which you know I did before I came into a relationship with her, then what kind of relationship did I really have with her? You see, if it doesn't affect my living, it affects our living, and it needs to affect our living with Christ as well. In fact, he uses the relationship of a husband and wife to to show the relationship between Christ and the church. You know, to understand God's truth and not act on it, that's not biblical faith. It's only an intellectual assent to religious truths. If it doesn't affect your life, all you're doing is nodding your head, yep, that's right, but I'm just going to do what I want anyway, and that's a foolish way to live. To have your mind enlightened and your heart stirred, but not to live in obedience to God is not faith. Because this is what it says in James. Some will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith from my works. Foolish man. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? What he's saying is, if you have a faith that hasn't affected your life, it's useless. That you really don't have any faith, he's saying. You can't separate the two. You don't work for faith, you work from faith. But if you have faith, faith faith works. There, it, 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 it has an effect and it works out in your life. Someone who lives their faith stands out in a world that ignores God, in a world that simply chases pleasure and other temporary solutions to the emptiness inside them. And when those who ignore God and chase all these other things, if our life looks just like theirs, then we have a problem. You see, because it's more than simply, it's the mind, the heart, and obedience. They're all involved in biblical faith. God's pretty clear in that throughout Scripture. They're all involved in biblical faith. It's not one or the other. It's not one without the other. These are all part of it. Now, here in Genesis 6, Noah stands out from those around him because Noah tried to live in the light of God. He lives in the light of God. He lived by what God told him is correct. Much different than those around him. In Genesis chapter 6 here, they're at a crisis point. Follow along, verse 5. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every scheme, picture this, every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind whom I created, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, the birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its ways on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with the wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You are to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark. Make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Verse 17, understand that I am bringing a flood. Flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with a breath of life in it. Everything on earth will die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives. You are also to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything. From the birds, according to their kinds, from the livestock, according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground, and according to their kinds, they will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten, gathered as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. Now, in the third chapter of Genesis, things were rolling along real well. You get to the third chapter and trouble comes into paradise. And here by chapter 6, you know, very short, really, you know, all the way by chapter 6, it had really compounded, which sin always does if you don't deal with it. If if you don't repent of sin, it always compounds itself. It always increases in problem. It always increases in struggle. You know, the easiest thing to tell is the truth, because if you tell the truth, I don't have to worry about what lie I told you before to try to remember how I have to cover that up. Verse 6 and 7, he uses the word, he said, that, that God, God regretted, you know, he regretted. And we look at that, we think, what in the world? You know, the Lord regretted that he had made this, them, you know, and, and that word, that word regretted, you know, in verse 6 and 7, it really means to be pained. To be pained. It's not that God felt he had made a mistake. What it is, is that God was pained by man choosing sin instead of choosing to live with him. And God was pained by this. And it caused him heartache. But it says in verse 8 that Noah, however, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Found favor. There's that picture of grace. That picture of grace. Noah found favor. Grace is, is, is that, you know, that we get favor from God. Not, nothing that we deserve. It's where we find favor with God. Everyone who has a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, everyone who has that favor, saving relationship with Christ Jesus, they've come to that relationship because of the grace of God. Why do I say that? Because that's what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2 says you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, we are saved. We say, well, it's faith that saves us. It's grace that works that brings us to that place of faith. You know, and which one comes first, which out in any order and all this. Here's the deal. You can't have one without the other in saving faith. 
in a relationship with Christ. You can't have one without the other. There's the reality of it right there for you. It's not from us. It's by the grace of God. You know, so there's two choices to make as you live each day. The two choices to make as you live each day are spelled out for us all through Scripture. It's, am I, am I living in and from the grace of God? Or am I causing God pain by the way I'm living? There's your two choices. Am I living in and by the grace of God or am I causing God pain by the way I'm living? And as I was reading in the morning and I had to sit there and ask myself these questions. Verse 9 tells us that Noah was righteous and blameless. Righteous, righteous speaks of his standing before God. That Noah's standing before God is that he was righteous, not because of his actions, but because of the grace of God. And he was righteous before God. And then it says that he was blameless. Blameless is Noah's conduct before men. Not that Noah was sinless. He wasn't. He sinned and Noah was a sinner. You know, but he was like a sinner. It was encouraging to me to know that God uses sinners. You know why? Because I'm a sinner. And God can use me by his choice, by his grace. He's blameless. He has that standing before God because of what Christ has done. And he stands there blameless. And he says, well, you know, but Christ didn't come until years later. But it's that faith in God and what God has done and the grace of God at work. Abraham believed God, it says, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What was it? It was a faith that changed his life because he believed that God is the one who was going to save him. And God is the one who was right. And he was not. And he had to live by what God said and not by his own choices. And, and Noah comes with the same thing. And this standing before God there is that, you know, he has he is blameless i found it very interesting that word means having integrity whole unblemished it's the word that was used to describe the animals that were acceptable for sacrifice to god that's that's the the word that's used here the the animals that were that are that are acceptable for sacrifice to god when we talk without blemish, it's not that they were absolutely perfect. What it is, is this is the very, 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 very best they had. And here's Noah being described with those same words. Noah stood in obvious contrast to the values of those around him. Not, notice their conduct, how their conduct is described, corrupt, filled with wickedness. Noah lived in obvious contrast to them. He chose to live in that world from his relationship with God. Not from the standards of the world, not from the standards of those who rejected God. He chose to live in that evil world and could still be in that evil world because he lived from his relationship with God. The rest chose to ignore God as they lived in this world. And there's the huge distinction between them. Noah didn't measure his, didn't measure his behavior by the standards of society, but by the standards of God. 
sin in my life is not measured by the standards of society. Sin is measured by the standards of God. Not with what those who ignore God say is sin, but with what God says is sin. Not with what those who ignore God say is acceptable or unacceptable, but with what God says is acceptable or unacceptable. This is the way Noah lived. This is the way we are called to live. The person who's right before God through faith in Christ ought to leave, ought to lead a life that is right before people. Why? Because they're living by God's light. Titus chapter 1. For there are many, also many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception. Especially those from Judaism, especially those who are just practicing a religion, he says, instead of living a life. Those who are just practicing a religion, goes on, verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny him with their works. They're detestable, disobedient, disqualified for any good work. Why? Because they claim one thing, but yet live another way. They claim that they have a relationship with God, yet they live like like someone who's in league with the devil. And this is how many, too many, this is how too many people live today. They claim to have a relationship with God and yet they live any way they please. They live with totally ignoring God. They live by a standard totally separate from God and they come up with their own way and their own thing and what they're doing is they profess to know God, yet they deny Him with their works. It goes on today, all too much today. What you have here is another picture of the choices you make to live each day. Are you choosing blameless conduct because you have received the righteousness of Christ? Is that what you're doing? Choosing blameless before God conduct because you have received righteousness of Christ? Or are you choosing what it says here? Corrupt, filled with violence toward God. This is the same two divisions we have of people today. Those same two divisions. Now, lest you think there is a third choice, lest you think there's a neutral choice, understand that's a lie of the devil to lull you into complacency. Because what Jesus said, he said, anyone who is not with me is against me. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. You see, there is no neutral living. There is no sitting on the fence. There is no waiting room for righteousness. And let me remind you, there is no gray area that doesn't exist. What we sometimes see as a gray area If you're confused about it, then what you need is more light from God to turn that gray clear. Doesn't mean we all do the same thing in every step and everything, everything right along the way. No, it doesn't. What it does mean is that I don't leave something and I don't excuse sin saying that this is a gray area so I can do what I want instead of pursuing God and seeing what God truly wants for me in that area. There, it, quit lying to yourself and telling yourself there's a gray area so that you can continue to do what you want instead of seeking God's heart in that matter. Just a thought for you.
There is no such thing as a gray area. You know why? Because God is not the least bit confused on how he wants you to live. Not the least. If you're confused, seek him, seek his heart, seek his understanding, and quit excusing yourself. Sorry, I sound like I'm lecturing. That's not my uh, intent. Uh, Sorry, but anyway, maybe I'm not sorry. Are Are you getting the picture? There's no, there is no neutral living. There is no third choice. Each day, each day you are choosing to live with God or you are choosing to live against God. Every day, this is the choice you're making. Everything you do as you go through each day, you are choosing to live with God or you're choosing to, to live against God. Those are the only two choices. The only two choices. I hope God's shining a light for you. Those are the only two choices. Verse 9 has a phrase that we use a lot, but we often don't, don't quite get the meaning that we need to get from this phrase. You know, it says that these are the family records of Noah, and we begin, well, we don't have to pay much attention because they're talking about genealogies, and I don't care. God didn't put anything in his word that, you know, there's, there's no filler, just in case you're wondering. There's no filler in there. Uh, he has it all there for a purpose. He goes on, he says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries, and Noah walked with God. There's the phrase, walked with God. There's the phrase we need to pay more attention with. That's the one I want, I want us to, I want us to focus on that for just a little bit. Because a life, a life that results in obedience is referred to as a walk in the Bible. You know, it's a, it's a walk because this is a life, a walk is, it begins with one step. That walk begins with one step. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's the step this walk begins with. That very first step is having a relationship with him. And if you don't have that relationship with him, that's the very first step you need to take is that relationship with him. And that's the first step in this walk. And it leads to a daily walk, one step at a time, as the Lord leads us through each day. One step at a time. Now, you see, there's already a lot there for us because things he's already commanded us to do. He's commanded us to walk in love, Ephesians chapter 5. He says, and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial fragrant offering to God. You see, there's the picture of love. You want to say, how do I walk in love? He tells you right there. He did it by giving himself for us. You want to walk in love? You give yourself for God. You give yourself for others. There's walking, that whole picture of walking in love. He tells us to walk as as children of light. Ephesians chapter 5, a little later. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Walk as children, not as children of darkness. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light, here it is. How do you, well, what in the world is walking as? The fruit of light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Is what you're doing, is how you're living, is how you're, is that next step you're taking right there in line with goodness. 
Is it in line with, is it going to result in goodness? Is it going to result in righteousness? Is it going to result in truth? He tells us, walk as children of the light. He tells us to walk as, as wise. Walk as wise. Ephesians chapter 5 again. Pay careful attention then how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Don't walk, don't walk like a dummy. Don't walk like those, don't walk like those who don't know Christ. Walk like those who do know Christ. Don't walk like those who get their values from the world and what the world has to say. Walk like those who have a relationship to God and get their values from what God has to say. Walk as children of the light, he says. Walk as those who are wise. And he tells us to walk by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. I say then, walk by the Spirit. And he won't carry out the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the flesh are tough sometimes. They're hard. I was thinking the other day, we, we went to a family reunion yesterday, and all my family are not Christians. And, um, you know, and, and even some of those who are, you know, and um, there were um, three or four coolers of beer and things. And, you know, then there was some another cooler that had beer and, and pop and water and stuff mixed in with it. And... You know, if you know me, you know I'm not a fan of of, of drinking and alcohol. I, I know too many alcoholics. And there's too many alcoholics in my family, and I know that I could I could be prone to be to be that person. Why in the world would I want to turn myself over to that? The desires of the flesh. Why would I want to? Why would I want? Because you see, it can crave that, and it can pull you that way, and it's hard to break. Why would I turn myself over to the desires of the flesh when God tells me instead, you know, to walk by the Spirit? And he tells us to walk. It's, a, it's a new way of life. That's what he says. Romans chapter 6, Therefore, we're buried with him in baptism and in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father so that we too may walk in a new way of life. We're walking in a way we haven't walked before. Because you see, now I'm walking after God. I'm not walking, I'm not walking on my own. I'm not, I'm not doing my own thing. And I'm not walking away from God. I'm walking in a new way of life with him. What's that look like? Well, it's a walk of decency, which is what he calls us here, Romans 13. Let us walk with decency as defined by God, not as defined by the world. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing, drunkenness, sexual impurity, promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. There's the world's way of living for you. There's a picture of the world's way of living for you right there. You want to know what does it mean to walk in decency? Well, it means that you're not carousing. Not in drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity. It was very interesting to me. I had a doctor's appointment just for, for you know, my annual physical, which is every two years. <laughs> but anyway, uh, every once in a while when I remember to go. So I, I, I went this, and my doctor left. He was with Parkview. He left Parkview, set up, uh, you know, in his own private practice with a couple other doctors. And so I was treated as a new dude. <laughs> So I'm sitting there and they're going through all the stuff with me ahead of time and the nurse is in there and she's, you know, young enough to be my daughter and she's asking me all these, all these questions and one of the questions, you know, she, she's asking and she says to me, um, I don't remember exactly how she worded, but she said, uh, you know, what about sex? I said, what do you mean? I already told you I was a male, so we're not there. I said, do you mean, am I, am I still having sex? She said, yeah. I said, I said, yeah, I am. She says, with how many, how many partners? 
You see, we laugh. Isn't it a shame that's a question I have to ask now? Walk with decency, it says. Not with sexual impurity. Not with promiscuity. Not with getting your values from the world's way of living. And he tells us to walk by faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is an active relationship, an active relationship with God. It's not just this mental ascent and saying, I got it and go and do my own thing. No, it's that active relationship with him. And we're, talk, we're told to walk worthy of the calling that we've received. Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, there, therefore I, the prisoners for the Lord, urge you. What he's saying is, I want to push you this way. I just can't get it strong enough to you. That's the urge he's talking about here. Walk worthy of the calling you've received. Worthy of that calling. I grew up with, you know, I, I grew up with a name, you know, the, the name Ryan was, was, was not, was not highly esteemed in, you know, in, in our town. I told you about that before, uh, you know, because my, my dad leaving, uh, and, and it just wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a good thing. And uh, I was the fifth in line of the Ryans, you know, the Ryan kids who go through school. And as soon as I came there, uh, I already, I already had a few things. Um, opinions of me and stuff in place simply because of my name. And what he's saying here is walk worthy of the calling you've received. Walk worthy of the calling, Christian, little Christ, those who have committed their lives to Christ, those who are followers of Christ Jesus. Walk, live worthy of Christ Jesus. And he says, walk worthy of the Lord. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord. What's that look like? Fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing to him. To him. To God. Not fully pleasing to the world. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit. That there's a result of living for him. It bears fruit. There's a change in your life. And it comes out in what? Every good work. Do you think you've got every of them? Every, maybe you've got a few of them. I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. You know, I know some of you well enough to know. You could get a few more in there. Uh, you know, and, and those of you who I don't know well enough, I'm, I, I feel fully confident in telling you. You get a few more in there. Every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Do you know more? Do you have you grow? Do you know more? Is there more knowledge of God in you now than there was last year? This summer, are you walking, are you living through this summer in a deeper knowledge of God than you did last summer? Are you walking with a deeper knowledge of God this week than you did last week? Are you going to walk with a deeper knowledge of God tomorrow than you did today? This afternoon than you did this morning? This growing, this growing knowledge of God. And we're told to walk in the light. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is a lot to do. This is, I listed these verses, just, just the, 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 uh, um, not the verse itself, but you know, the, the, the location of it for you in your Bible so you could, you can look them up later. It's a lot to do. You know, how do, how do we ever make it? How do we do this? You walk one step at a time. 
one day at a time. You know, we walk with the Lord. He guides us into his will. He blesses us, you know, with his wisdom, with his strength. What if I mess up? What if I fall? I don't want to burst your bubble here. You will fall. You're going to mess up. You will fall. Uh, Certainly try not to. Make a real effort not to fall, but you will. And what you need to do then is get back up again. Choose to get back up and choose to walk with God again. When you fall, get up and choose to walk with him again. Now, real quickly, let me just summarize for you what follows verse 9 and the rest of chapter 6 all the way through chapter 9. Don't worry, real big broad brush. A few things on the screen that stood out to me, if they help you, great. If they don't, then write down your grocery list. Uh, Noah instructs, excuse me, God instructs Noah here uh, to build the ark. A massive floating warehouse. And he tells him to fill it with his family as well as every kind of animal that says God says he's going to bring these, every kind of animal, all the food supplies for the animals, all the food supplies for himself and for his family. What an overwhelming, what an intimidating task. I was reading this and I was thinking, I have a hard enough time looking at the house after the grandkids leave and thinking, where do I start? And here, you know, he's, he's given this overwhelming task. But God gives Noah the time, the ability, and the strength, and the supplies to get it all done. Now, some people believe it took Noah 100 years to build the ark, and that's based on the mention in chapter 5, verse 32. It says Noah was 500 years old when he fathered his sons. And in chapter 7, verse 6, it mentions he was 600 years old when the deluge started. Well, did it take him 100 years to build the ark? I don't, you know what? That's irrelevant. Here's the point that I think we need to get. What, what's very clear here, if you look at these instructions, what's very clear from building the ark is it took a long time and a lot of supplies. That's very clear. This wasn't a weekend project. It took him a long time and a lot of stuff. You know, and we sometimes feel, too, that we are facing something that is overwhelming. It's an intimidating challenge. Realize God is going to give you all you need to face any challenge that he places before you. Anything he calls you to be, he is going to supply that for you and help you to be what you cannot be on your own. God will give us what we need to accomplish what he's asked of us, what he has called us to be. Noah had to remain faithful over the long haul. You know, over the long haul and in the midst of doubters. Now, we see depictions, you know, of Noah in the movies and, you know, in Veggie Tales, where some of us get our theology from. And we see things where his neighbors are ridiculing him, you know, and his neighbors are saying, Noah, hey, Noah, what are you doing there, Noah? You know, we see all of this stuff. Now, it seems logical to us. The text never tells us that that's what happened here. But what is clear from the text is his neighbors didn't believe that there was going to be a flood. Why do I say that? Well, because if they... If they believed, if you truly believe that, which is what we were talking about before, if you truly have faith that that's going to happen, you take action. They took no action for this. Some of them would have prepared. Jesus said, you know, in Matthew 24, he says, as in the days of Noah, you know, or so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days of the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriages, carrying on with life as normal right up until the flood, right up until Noah boarded the ark. Why? They didn't, they didn't believe. And why, think about this now, why would they, you know, why should they believe? 
Nothing of this magnitude has ever happened before. Nothing like this ever came about. Yet Noah here chose to believe God and he continued to build the ark. He continued to collect the animals. He continued to collect the supplies he needed. He chose to believe God. What I learned for here for, for me was just a good reminder is to believe God's word over experience. Believe God's word over experience. Now, I'm going to give you a warning here on this one. You believe God's clear word, you know, not, not, not some feeling that I have. Check your feelings against the word of God. Check your feelings against the clear word of God. God is not going to lead you contrary to his word. So God has Noah, you know, and, and, and his family, and he has them board the ark a week before he brings the rain. That's what it says in the Bible. That's kind of why I believe that. Uh, he says, he said, you know, God shuts them in seven days, seven days, nothing happens. What would you have been thinking on day six? Man, I'd rather be out in the sunshine. I know I'm sitting in here. Yeah. And then sure enough, the rain started just as God said it would. In God's timing. And it rained 40 days and 40 nights non-stop. And it says the waters erupted from below the earth as well. When we were at the, the family reunion yesterday, it was at my niece's house, and they live along a creek. And they were talking about this downpour they got on Wednesday. And uh, their house, and, uh, and then it slopes down just a little bit, and then there's the creek. Well, what happened then is it rained so hard and so much, uh, the creek overflowed, and where it goes down, washed away the kid's sandbox and all the sand and all this other stuff, and it was gone. And that, that was just an evening's worth of rain. Here, you know, they get this deluge. 40 days and 40 nights of nonstop rain and the waters are erupting from below the earth as well. And it says everything was wiped out. And as you read through the text, 377 days until they stepped out of that ark again. Over a year that they're in that ark. And what they had to deal with there was a separation from everything that was familiar to them. The loneliness of being in this massive ship and not seeing any other people but your family. You know, some of you say, oh, I could deal with that. No one, no one, not even a clerk at the grocery store, you know, nobody. They were never alone, though, you see, because God was with them through the storm. He was with them through that. As a long haul, a very long haul, but God brings them through it safely. And what I was seeing through this, you know, and what I know from experience, God will bring you through the storm. He will bring you through that storm. Did you ever think about this? God led them to the storm before he led them through the storm. They were in that storm at God's bidding. He brought them to that storm, you know, and, and not because of their sin. It was because of the sin of others. But then he led them through the storm. And then he helped them when they got out. And it just reminded me that God will help you to adjust to your new normal. You see, when you have a walk with Christ, it's not back to life as it was. And sometimes some very tough problems rain down and come sweeping into our lives like a flood. Realize, realize it will rain. Trouble will come into your life. Jesus said, in this 
world, you will have tribulation. King James. In this world, you will have, not maybe, not might, not some of you. In this world, you will have trouble, he said. It's going to be there. I guarantee it, he said. <coughs> you're living in this world, particularly if you're living for me, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems if you're, if you're not living for God. You're going to have problems. But you see, then you're facing that on your own. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. And I love the last part of that verse, but be a good cheer because I've overcome the world. I'm going to be with you through that trouble. You are going to have it, he says, but I'm going to be with you through that trouble. But what I want you to learn here is Noah weathered the storm because before the storm hit, he learned to walk with God. Before that storm came, we need to learn to walk with God, to live in and from the grace of God one step at a time. One step at a time. The place to begin with is a relationship with Christ. Then continue in that relationship by reading his word, by living his word, one step at a time. You fall, get back up and take the next step. Get up and take the next step. Walk each day with God. Live a life of faith and obedience one step at a time. Even though things rain down in your life, walk with God. He may bring you to the storm, but he will bring you through each storm. And he will help you adjust to the new normal. Walk with God. Let's pray.